And just last week, I said there are a lot of things we can agree to disagree on. Uh, Even as Christ followers, we can read the Bible in different ways. We can interpret things in different ways. So does the gospel fall into that category? Is it one of those things we can agree to disagree on? My answer would be no. No, not only from my perspective, but also from the perspective of historic Christian orthodoxy. Why not? Well, the gospel is the climactic teaching of the whole Bible, and it is the foundational belief of Orthodox Christianity. If you want to know what Christianity is about at its base, it is about the gospel. So as Christ followers, we can disagree on a lot of secondary issues like what should church music be like, uh, how should you vote on this or that, and even about whether babies should be baptized or not. Orthodox Christians have disagreed on those things for centuries and centuries, and they've even argued for their different positions from the Bible. But the gospel, as the, the, the heart of the Bible, is not negotiable. And here's the real issue. That the gospel, or understanding the gospel, is not simply a matter of accuracy or religious trivia, Because the gospel message is the basis of all of our hope. If we don't understand the gospel, if we don't believe the gospel, we don't have any hope. So if you don't know what it is and you don't believe the gospel, you're not a Christian. But not only are you not a Christian, you don't know God. That's the historic Christian perspective. Conversely, knowing what the gospel is... Believing that message and living life according to that message, that is the pathway not only to know God, but also to experience his transforming power. We believe it's the only way to actually live life the way it was meant to be lived. Every human being on this planet is looking for meaning. (laughs) We're trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. We want to sense that our life is headed somewhere. We want to sense that there's a point to all of this activity in our lives and around us. And until we know the gospel and believe it, any meaning or purpose we find is bound to fail us. So the gospel is not just an interesting thing to know. It's the only way to experience life the way it was meant to be lived. So what is it? What is the gospel? Your ability to answer that question correctly is of utmost importance. But before I answer the question, what is the gospel? I have a preliminary question. If the gospel is that important, then why is there so much disagreement about it? Even within churches, why is there so much confusion if it's this essential to human life? Why would different people answer in different ways? Well, even from the earliest days of Christianity... The message of the gospel has sometimes gotten obscured or confused in different ways. How? How does that happen and and why? Well, for some people, the gospel simply never communicated clearly and their understanding remains incomplete. They've just never heard anybody explain it in a way that made any sense to them. So that that happens and so the, the idea of the gospel gets confused or obscured. At times, religious people have added things to the gospel that obscured it. And at other times, religious people have taken things away from the gospel that have obscured its fullness. And it's not my goal this morning to do a historical review of how religious people through the ages have messed things up intentionally or unintentionally. 
In seminary, I functionally had two semesters where I heard that terrible story. But for us today, in the 21st century, it's essential for us to examine our own understanding of the gospel, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the people that we love. Everybody here has someone they love that does not know the gospel. We have kids and grandkids, nieces and nephews, and we want them to have the life that they were made for. But it can't be had without knowing and believing the gospel. Likewise, we have friends and co-workers and neighbors who've either never heard the gospel in a way that made sense or they've heard misrepresentations of it. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's our job to clarify the gospel, to pass it on to the people that we love, not as a matter of superiority or being patronizing, but because it's the most important message for every person to live their life according to. So what is the gospel then? Very simple. The gospel is good news about Jesus. I mean, that's a very basic... Oh, I didn't go... uh, Skip back. Thank you, Beatrice. The gospel is good news about Jesus. Now, I I, I, I know it's a very basic answer, but the word gospel... Cody, you know this. You're a classics major. We we have this, uh, this mutual thing. The word gospel is a translation of the Greek word euangelion, which means literally good news. So, I mean, just looking at a dictionary, the word gospel means good news. Okay, well, what is this good news about Jesus? The good news about Jesus is that he is the Lord. So, my wife's from New Hampshire, and one night she and I were at a microbrewery up there, uh, catching up with, with uh, longtime friends. Both of them were raised in the church, and we were talking about FPC, we were talking about matters of faith, and the... And, at this, there came a point where I said something about Jesus being Lord and that this idea was kind of the central idea that I'm always trying to communicate to people. And one of our friends responded, I don't even know what that means. I grew up in the church. That word Lord means absolutely nothing to me. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? And I think that's a fair question. You know, I doubt you refer to anybody on a daily basis as a Lord or lady. It's kind of old, archaic language. Because it comes from the Bible. And in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he said this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so that's the declaration, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So yeah, the word Lord is archaic. I'm ringing, Chris. Is Chris in here or Evelyn or somebody or Jack? I'm ringing. Um, The word Lord is archaic, but Paul says it's key, it's central to the gospel, these two ideas, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. So let's think through this idea that Jesus is Lord. So in ancient times, when a new king would take the throne, or when a king had been victorious in battle over his enemies, heralds would be sent throughout the kingdom declaring good news. Jesus didn't come up with the word euangelion, gospel. This was an old political term that already existed. Heralds would go to village centers throughout the kingdom. They blow their trumpet or whatever, and they would shout out good news that the king has taken the throne or the king has defeated his enemies. He's victorious. All is at peace because of the king. Good news. So Jesus is Lord is an essentially political statement of Jesus's universal kingship and victory. If you're surprised I'm talking about politics, let me explain. The the central idea of the gospel is that Jesus, who is raised from the dead, is the king 
over the earth. He is the universal potentate over all existence. And that's a political statement. It's dangerous and controversial to say that Jesus is Lord. I mean, think about the first century into which Jesus was born and into which the church of Jesus was birthed. To be a Roman citizen, you had to declare Caesar is Lord. You look on Roman currency, what did it say on it? Caesar is Lord. So when you get these these weird Christians walking around saying, no, Jesus is Lord, that put them on the wrong side of the state. This is why early Christians in Rome were put to death. To say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is king above every other king, that he is the one to whom I owe primary allegiance, that meant treason. Rome wanted to be your primary allegiance. And yet this political notion is at the heart of the gospel. That Jesus stands as the one true king of humanity to whom we all owe our primary allegiance. And we don't live in Rome anymore. But to believe the gospel today means that I'm not in charge of me. Nor do I believe that you are in charge of you. Jesus is king. And our primary allegiance is not to the United States. Our primary allegiance is not to our employer. Our primary allegiance is not even to my wife and kids. My primary allegiance isn't even to what I think is best for me. No, Jesus is Lord. He's king. And what he wants is of utmost importance. So that's the first aspect of the lordship of Jesus. But second, because God raised Jesus from the dead, it proves that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, which is the Messiah of Israel. Some of you no doubt remember the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She was an outcast not only among the Jews, she was an outcast among her own people, among her own tribe, because of her checkered past, maritally and sexually. But Jesus, in his typical fashion, took the time to get to know her and to tell her his gospel. And in their long conversation, she eventually said this, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And you think, great, two more arcane words that I'm not really familiar with, right? We've already talked about Lord. What does this Messiah Christ notion mean? Well, I think you can see now why the gospel can get a little obscured through the passage of time in history. Let me try to make it as simple as I can. The story of Israel, which culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is the story of God fixing what's broken in the world. So every human being, regardless of their race, their religion, their creed, every one of us, we may not agree on the gospel, we'll all agree with this, the world is screwed up. Something's wrong. We don't have to look any further than Nashville or the tornadoes in Mississippi and Arkansas or the war in Ukraine to say something here is messed up. Let me show you a little graphic. This kind of helps me as I'm thinking about the gospel. This helps me kind of, kind of parse it out. I'm going to draw. So God made the world for love. God made the world so that we would be in a relationship with him. We are loved by him. We love him. And we were also made to be in loving relationships with each other. Uh, and to be in loving relationship to the world that God created. 
this is what he made this world for. But we all know that's not what happened. Instead, we look at the world and we see brokenness. We see that things are going astray. We, we sang the song about the sheep earlier. What happened between the beginning and what we have now? The way the Bible answers that question, you all see that? Yeah, that's good enough. The way the Bible answers that question is sin got us here. Now, what is sin? Sin is a disease that every one of us has where we are ultimately self-serving. At the end of the day, I tend to be more concerned about myself than I'm concerned about anybody else. And this sin within us erupts into acts of pride and violence, uh, self-seeking. We all embody it in different ways. That's what happened to the world. God didn't make it to be this way. And so God saw what was going on with our world, and he was not content to just let it be that way. He didn't make this world for chaos and hatred and death and brokenness. So he had a plan to make it right. And the means of salvation would be a new nation, a new people that he started and named Israel. And through that people, God was going to fix what was broken in the world. We'll come back to that in a second. Through Israel, he was going to fix what was broken in the world. So in the first book of the Bible, we see God's plan to fix the world through Israel, the family of Abraham. It says this, 12th chapter of the Bible. Now Yahweh, that's God's name, Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And note this, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through Israel, God intended to reach and restore all the nations of Israel. And how is he going to do that? First, God spoke to them. He gave them his law. And then he lived with them in the tabernacle and temple of Israel. And he gave Israel prophets and priests and judges and kings to teach them his ways. He even told them his name. His name isn't God. His name is Yahweh. So Yahweh wanted to know Israel. Yahweh wanted Israel to know him. He wanted to live in communion with, again, a return I would turn that off. A return to that, that love relationship that he made us for. But if you're a student of the Old Testament, you won't be surprised it didn't work out. The problem of sin that I've got, Israel had too. That same innate selfishness, that inner desire that we all have to be our own lords and masters, that same sickness was in them. And one of Israel's greatest kings named David wrote this. There is none who does good. Yahweh looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So as the story of Israel plays out in the Bible, it seems like all hope is lost. God's world restoration project seems to be a failure because Israel has the same heart problem that you and I have. Their sin problem is still unresolved. But in time the prophets of Israel would begin to tell of a king who would come, a king who would win the war, a king who would take the throne, all this gospel-y sort of language. And this king would sit on the throne of Israel and make all things right. He would not just win the war with Israel's enemies. He would win the war with sin, the war with death, the war with sorrow, the war with brokenness. And the Hebrew word that they applied to this king that would come is Meshiach or Messiah, 
which in Greek is Christ. And both of these words mean the anointed one. So when Jesus says, I'm that guy, I'm the one the prophets talked about. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. What was Jesus saying? Jesus's claim to be the Christ meant he understood himself to be the king who would fix what is broken in our world, namely sin and all of its consequences. Now, let me be a skeptic, which I tend to be. Saying that is all fine and good. Jesus can tell some lady in the first century that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the king who's going to fix everything. Who cares what he says? I could say I'm the Christ, that I'm the Messiah, but that doesn't make it true. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, that proved Jesus wasn't lying. Last I checked, God doesn't raise liars from the dead to validate their message. Again, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 10? He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the lordship of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are inextricably linked because one proves the other. The resurrection of Jesus shows his claim to be the Christ to be true. But there's an additional piece here not to be missed. It was through his life, death, and resurrection that Jesus not only dealt with the human problems of sin and death, but he also confirmed his identity as God in human flesh. So sin is a human problem. We're the ones that messed up creation. God didn't do that. So if the problem that we cause is going to be undone, we're the ones that have got to fix it. Problem is we don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity. Israel didn't have the capacity. We're all infected by sin. So God who had no sin and still has no sin, became a human being through the virgin birth of Jesus. And he lived a life without sin, something none of us had done, and then was crucified. Why would a sinless person be crucified on a Roman cross? Well, again, first of all, he claimed to be the one and only Lord of Israel and also humankind. But secondly, in his death, God the Son was punished by God the Father for the sins that humanity has committed. So that if we believe the message of Jesus, we are forgiven for the part that every one of us plays in the brokenness of the world. And every one of us has a hand in it. We only have to look at the, the relationships closest to us to see the ways that we ourselves have intentionally and unintentionally wreaked havoc on the world. But because Jesus died for our sins, if we believe the gospel, we can be forgiven of what we've done, the part we've played in the brokenness and chaos of the world. Not long after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to heaven, Jesus' disciple Peter stood before the leaders of Israel, and he said this, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead to show that through knowing and trusting Jesus, we too can overcome not only the power of sin in our lives, but also the power of death one day. I'm going to go back to my little graphic now. Have I lost my pen? No, I haven't. So what was God's solution to the brokenness in this world? God, Jesus came down from heaven. He died on the cross, and he was raised from the dead 
so that both we, this is going to look real bad. This is, this is the earth, okay? Don't worry about it. So that both we and the earth can be restored to what God intended them for. And so the question is, how? How do I get that? How can I be restored to what God made me for? And how can I be a part of restoring the world to what it was made for? And that brings us to this little leg here. It's believe the gospel. It's through faith in the gospel, through trusting the message of Jesus' lordship, that he begins a work of changing us. That sin problem that we all have, he begins to unravel that in us and begins to put us back together. He, and as he reshapes our lives, he begins to reshape the world around us. I'm telling you, I've got too many pieces and parts up here today. So, when we believe... Chris, my mouse isn't working now, so you get to come be my clicker. You want to come click for me? I'll walk over here. So when we believe this gospel, submitting ourselves to Jesus as Lord, he begins a work of transforming us from the inside out, and then through us, he transforms the world to its original intent. This is the gospel. Jesus, the resurrected God-man, is fixing what's broken in us, and then through us, he's bringing restoration to our homes, to our neighborhoods, our cities, our towns, and our world. But if we do not trust this message and aim to live in communion with Jesus, we're not going to experience this transformation now. And we will not experience the glorious end of the story. Jesus himself told his disciples this. All right, give me that slide, Chris. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul told his protege, Timothy, a similar thing. Give me that slide, Chris. There is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. So apart from knowing the gospel and trusting Jesus, there's no hope or meaning to be had in this life. Apart from Jesus, we're stuck with our sin. We're stuck with the brokenness that it brings. But if we relinquish ownership and kingship of our lives... If we turn from every other allegiance to Jesus and say, you are my Lord. I believe you died for me and that you were raised from the dead. If we turn to Christ, we not only receive forgiveness of sins, we have hope of our lives being transformed and then the world around us being transformed. This is the hope of the gospel. But here's the next slide. The hope of the gospel is not for this life only. We believe that the resurrected Christ will one day return and resurrect us, not only from death, uh, but also to live forever on a restored earth. This is one of those essential parts of the gospel that usually gets forgotten. It astonishes me how many Orthodox lifetime churchgoers have never heard this. Yes, we go to heaven when we die, but that's not the end goal. God didn't create us for this kind of detached spirit life in heaven with him. No, he made us, again, for a loving relationship with each other on this earth together with him. So God will one day raise us from the dead, we who trust in Christ, the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he said this, Chris, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the first one of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come resurrection from the dead. 
For as in Adam, that's the first man he sinned in the garden, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this, my friends, is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what it means that Jesus is Lord, and it demands a response from us. And the response, the question is this. Do you trust this gospel? That because Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead, I can be made new. The world can be made new. We can be restored to what we are made for. I imagine you have questions about the gospel because it does get obscured and confused. To hear it put this way may sound strange to your ears or different. I mean, did Jesus really come back from the dead? That's one of the most important questions that every one of us has to ask when presented with this information. Did he really claim to be the Messiah of Israel who would restore the world? Probably the most pertinent to us, can he actually break the patterns of sin and selfishness and bitterness and unforgiveness and addiction in my life? Can he really do that? Those are all important questions. And I would encourage you, don't rest on your laurels. This message, the gospel, is of utmost importance. You can't put it on a back burner. These are the most important questions you'll ever ask because we're talking about the meaning of existence. We're talking about the meaning of your life, so there's urgency here. So ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions because the answers are readily available. Passivity is not going to help you. That's going to lead to despair on these questions. So seek to get to the bottom of the good news about Jesus. But maybe you already know and believe this good news. Maybe you have experienced the transforming work of Jesus like I and many of us here have. What must you do? Tell the people you love. This is the most important message they could ever hear. Because here we find the hope of humanity in the world. Here we find meaning and purpose and everything for which we long. Here we find God and the hope of knowing him, of knowing his love, and of living life as it was meant to be lived. This is the gospel. And the one question is, do you believe it? If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and if you believe that Jesus is Lord, profess it with your mouth. Let everybody know what you believe. Be transformed by him and then watch him redeem your life, your home, your neighborhood. And our hope is to see St. Tammany Parish and the whole world redeemed through his work because the gospel is our only hope. It's our family's only hope. It's our community's only hope. It's our world's only hope. Jesus Christ, the son of God raised from the dead, he is our hope. Let's pray. Father, Help us to be honest with ourselves and with this message of the gospel. We can't just leave questions unasked and unanswered. Help us to dig and to chew and to fight and wrestle with the claims of Jesus and the claims of the historic church so that in this good news, we will find good news for us, good news for our marriages good news for our work, good news for our children, our friends. Lord, teach us 
your way. Help us to have the life that you made us for. Lord, if there's anyone here who has questions about the gospel, I pray you give them the courage to ask them to people they trust so that together they can fight through it. And for those of us who do believe the good news, give us the courage to be open and honest with our family and our friends because everyone needs to hear this good news. Jesus, we trust you. Help us in our, tr- our struggle to trust. We pray this in your name. Amen.